Welcome to The Culture Shift. We want this podcast to empower you as leaders to make impactful change in your workplace. I'm Vicky Bars, and I specialize in transforming organizations through equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives. In each episode, we'll delve deep into the fascinating world of workplace culture. Join me as I sit down with an array of incredible guests, including members of our very own Culture Shift team and industry experts. Through these thought-provoking conversations, we aim to equip you with the knowledge, tools, and inspiration you need to drive positive change in your workplace. Whether it's breaking down barriers, thinking about how you include a more diverse workforce, or fostering a culture of collaboration and belonging, we've got you covered. So let's dive straight into an episode. Welcome to today's episode of The Culture Shift. I am going to be joined today by Emily Abbott, the Chief of Staff here at Culture Shift. And we're going to be talking about hidden disabilities, uh, talking about what HR and people teams can be doing to support people with hidden disabilities in the workplace. So welcome, Emily, to the podcast. Really good to have you here. If you could maybe introduce yourself and tell us a bit about how you ended up working at Culture Shift. Yes, so, well, I'm Emily, and I am the Chief of Staff here at Culture Shift. Um, I've been here just over 18 months now, which has gone very fast. Um, Yeah, so I've had quite a varied career, moved from kind of other tech startup businesses to um, quite different industries like public transport and safety, so really varied. But I think through that journey, there was always kind of that thing missing in loving work, but knowing that there was that little gap in not feeling like I was really having that impact to the world that I felt like I could and when the opportunity for culture shift came up it felt like that was that missing piece of the puzzle where um, my skills and experience could support the business but actually it would really be fulfilling for me in taking that step into working for a a really mission-led organization yeah get to be part of that bigger picture yeah which is really cool thanks so today we're going to be talking a bit about disabilities in the workplace and whether HR teams are doing enough to support people um, with any kind of disability in the workplace, um, which I know is a topic that's sort of close to your own heart. Would you like to talk a bit about why? Yeah, so um, I have epilepsy. I'm always very open about that because I think um, you have to be. You have to be willing to be open and vulnerable about your experiences in order to have these conversations and make sure that people are going to have the conversations. And... Um, My experience in work has not always been positive um, because of that. And I've had to kind of do a lot of learning and growing as part of that within my role as well. So um, part of my responsibility here at Culture Shift is kind of our people and culture and thinking about how we grow and evolve as, as we scale the business to make sure that we don't lose our commitment to the individuals in our business in all of our approach to that and yeah so I think that experience as being someone who lives with a hidden disability and has a chronic illness definitely plays a part in that because I you know I know what it's like to come to work every day and try to try to bring your best self every day when actually your best self on a Monday may be very different than it is on a Wednesday Mm. and that's not always being recognized by the people you're working with. And how is that recognised in Culture Shift and like how's your experience been here? 
Oh yeah, it's been completely different than any other place that I've worked with. I think um, the first time that I sort of had um, what I usually term like a blip um, with my epilepsy, it was the first time where I just felt able to be completely open about exactly what was going on and um, take the time that I needed to recover, which meant that I recovered faster mm. rather than pushing myself to just keep going. And um, I remember quite clearly that day that you know my husband turned around to me and said how amazed he was that I'd taken the time I needed without having to be pressured or kind of um, pushed by him at the end to be kind of showing how worried he was about me. And actually me just going, I'm not feeling very well, I need to take this rest. Um, because I just had that feeling of safety and trust mm -hmm. in my organization to be able to do that. And the response was exactly what I'd felt it was gonna be in that moment, that it was, yeah, take the time you need, feel better, and you know we will help and support you with whatever needs doing during that time, which is exactly what it should be for everyone, everywhere. Yeah. And sadly, it's not, though, is it? I think no. you know, a lot of workplaces don't really understand that um, chronic illnesses can have like many varied and complex impacts on people's lives. And the way in which they respond to them as an organisation um, really makes a difference to how well people can succeed at work and how people can feel um, whether they belong or not in their workplace. And so, yeah, there's sort of... I think, you know, erasure of people with hidden disabilities is something that is really common. Like if it's, especially because it's not seen, it's not something that, you know, you visibly can notice about people. So all sorts of hidden disabilities, you know, with chronic illness and, um, you know, there can often be a lot of need to take time off of work. And if policies and organisations don't support people with that, um, then, you know, it can lead to presenteeism um, where yeah. people turn up but aren't really able to put the work in um, and that's just a, a really false economy for people to be living in right it is and it's a vicious cycle because um the more you push yourself the higher the risk that something is going to go wrong there's going to be a trigger um for um the person's illness or condition um and so the more that you push that person or the more that your policies and procedures create barriers for that person taking the rest recuperation when they need it, um, the more risk there is that that person is going to have relapses or um, that when something happens, it will end up taking longer for them to recover. So it's false economy and it's just a vicious cycle. Yeah. And I think workplaces in particular, like, you know, have legal duties yes. <laughs> under the Equality Act um, to support disabled people. Um, but actually, a lot of the time, people don't feel safe or comfortable telling their employer, right? Um, we know yeah. that disclosure rates on application are really low. Um, we know that lots of employers don't necessarily give people an alternative opportunity to disclose or declare their disability later on in their employment journey as well. Um, and then a lot of the time, these things come up when people hit performance reviews or yeah. when people hit sickness abstinence reviews. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really detrimental, I think, to people's um, success as, as an employee, but just their general health and well-being as well. Um, and that, it like, compounded on top of having a disability. It's just a lot. Yeah, and there's so many touch points that create those barriers. So 
you know, the way you word a job description um, when someone's considering applying to your organisation, you know, the language that you choose to put in there, you know, <laughs> buzzwords that people put in job descriptions that I hate whenever I see them, but, you know, like, we're a fast-paced organisation and things like, okay, so it's not, not everyone, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, I can't take a rest day, I can't have a day where I'm not at 100% capacity because that's not going to be acceptable. Mm. That is what you are telling any disabled applicant who is considering applying for that role. Um, and it's, you know, if you're using language like that, I would really kind of say to anyone putting job descriptions out there, review them, think about the tone of voice that you're, you're saying to people about your organization in, in just one sentence of a job description. Um, but also, you know, things that we, we publicly put out about our organizations you know the the government is telling us things you know like um racial equality gender equality very very important but a lot of organizations are legally required to pu publicly tell us their statistics and their data around those not around disability mm -hmm. we're not seeing people tell us what they are actively doing for their disabled employees so you're encouraging people to disclose their lived experience to an organization they've never worked for, they don't know a huge amount about, the trust isn't there, and you're not creating that by saying what you're doing. You're not meeting them halfway. Mm. All the pressure, all of the requirement is on the person with the disability to kind of put their hand up and say, I'll put myself out there. I will tell you exactly what's going on in my life. Yeah that's not fair that's not right the organization has to build the trust they have to put themselves out there and say we're a safe space you should want to come to us because we will create that environment where you can be yourself and it's okay if you're having a bad day yeah and one really easy way of doing that is like having your jobs have flexible working options right yeah. flexible working policies and putting that in your job adverts as well like even if you are recruiting full-time for that post ideally like actually thinking ahead not just putting it in there to say we'll, we'll go flexible working but actually thinking like well how if someone applied and wanted to do this job three days a week would that be achievable could this work be done in that time could we backfill the other two days with another type of role yeah. or putting that into another member of the team doing additional days or getting like temporary staffing to do certain research projects yeah. like there's so many other ways that we can structure a lot of the work we do um especially in the larger type of organizations that we work with at culture shift where there are so many different types of portfolios and job roles and skill sets and you know we don't have to have this like really outdated like nine to five factory grind right <laughs> like work can be so much more flexible and inventive than that and i don't think a lot of workplaces have caught up um with those possibilities um i think a lot of them are afraid to move away from what they know yes and i think that like if you look at the i think you mentioned about like you know published data around gender and race there's a lot of stuff now around the um, pay gaps for those different types of marginalizations um there is some research around disability pay gap and it does exist but it's significantly like less well known most organizations aren't looking at that data um and there's also a huge employment gap as well right for a lot of disabled people so we're talking yeah. about people in the workplace but there's getting into the workplace as well right yeah and there's there is data um and uh, apologies i can't think of the numbers off the top of my Sorry. head but about the number of people with disabilities who want to work 
but are struggling to find those opportunities. Um, this isn't about forcing people into work, this is about providing opportunities for people who want a chance, want to be fulfilled with an opportunity to you know, socialise with people, make relationships, that's a big part of going to work, but also use skills that they've learned. You know, you know, my chronic illness is something I've had from childhood, that's my whole life. That's not everyone's lived experience. Mm. Some people may have had a really fulfilling career and then had um, an illness um, later in life and lost that career and be trying to get back to that. Um, and that's been taken away from them and that's not okay. And we should be looking for opportunities to provide spaces. And there is a huge amount of skills out there that we as an industry are not utilizing, not bringing in and mm. you know how we could empower lots of organizations across the country if we were, like you say, thinking outside the box, not being trapped by archaic ways of working but actually thinking about the individuals and how they could bring the best kind of productivity into their roles yeah and i have a real strong opinion that the <laughs> government should be doing a lot more to support uh, workplaces to employ disabled people um, there has been this huge push and over the last 13 years of a conservative government to um, encourage disabled people into the workplace. Uh, lots of benefits have been taken away from disabled people. Yes. Lots of people have been deemed fit to work um, and who aren't. Um, yeah. And there's a real, obviously, like big piece of politics around that. And um, this is not, I think, us saying that all disabled people should have to work. Like, no. absolutely, there should be, um, you know, a statewide support structure in place to allow disabled people who can't work to live a fulfilling and happy life. Um, you know, and be supported um, through that. But, you know, where you've got an agenda that's saying that like, more disabled people need to be in work, and then you've got workplaces that aren't providing the support and flexibility and environments where people can thrive, like there's a real disconnect there and it's failing disabled people, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You can't just take support away from the individuals and then not be requiring organisations to open and create space for those people to step into. Um, and totally agree, this is not about saying all disabled people should be in work because that's not the case. This is about ensuring there are safe opportunities for those people who can and want to work. And that's really important. And I think, I think it's also really important to say that this isn't just about how you attract people with disabilities into your work it's how you support them on an ongoing basis mm. and I think you know there are schemes out there that organizations can sign up to and some of that is around you know um guaranteeing interviews and things like that like the but, disability two ticks yeah but it's again it's relying on the person with a disability to disclose at point of application mm -hmm. which you know we've already mentioned around disclosure rates and again all of that pressure is being put on the individual to trust that you know, those two ticks on your website mean that if they join your organisation, they're going to be hugely supported throughout. And that's not always the case. So they may not disclose at that point. And it's how you create that safety for them moving forward. It's recognising that the energy that a person with a disability is using on a daily basis to think about things and deal with things that someone that doesn't have a disability won't even consider is going to play a part and I can give you quite a funny example of that today so um, 
I don't like being in front of camera. Everyone at Culture Shift knows that. Um, so I started kind of overthinking the steps I needed to take to kind of come into being in front of camera. And part of that was I had to do my hair. Yeah. I had to kind of look presentable in front of camera. And this morning when I got up, the thought of actually getting a hairdryer out, straighteners out, all that just became too much. And I was like, actually, if I go th- and do all of that, by the time I get to work, I will have expended so much energy on that. That you wouldn't that, feel informed for this, yeah. Yeah, that I'll have wasted all of that. And like saying that, like quite funny, it was, a, you know, I've come in curly crazy hair instead of, of I think nice styled probably. hair. But actually like, do your, is there bias in your organization that actually how a person presents themselves on a daily basis means they're more likely to get a promotion? Mm-hmm. Although that's like a really kind of simple example, it happens and it's a yeah. barrier for people to bring their best selves to work and to get the opportunities that they are probably very deserving of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, this... Um, I guess massively relates back to the spoons theory, right? Like, yeah. and some disabled people love it, some don't. Yeah. But I think a lot of chronically ill people, in particular, um, you know, the theory is that um, you have a set number of spoons in a day to use. Yeah. And like you say, like for some people, if they've got unlimited amounts of spoons, they can get up early, put their makeup on, go to the gym, get their hair done nice, like yeah. have their clothes beautifully presented and ironed because they've had energy to go shopping at the weekend whereas for a disabled person especially chronically ill people you know you might use some of those spoons just just getting a shower in the morning just making your breakfast in the morning yeah um you don't have the additional like resources necessarily to go and do all of those extra things that you then get perceived to be more presentable for and more yeah um, committed to your job for and it's yeah it's changing the way that you think about individuals it really is and I think when we use the term flexible working and we throw it onto a a job advert and things it's it's thinking beyond uh, we don't make people be in the office for nine o'clock and we sometimes let them work from home on a Friday and you know sort of that it's it's going beyond that and thinking we are providing space for people to work in the way that they need to work and I know not everyone can wear jeans to work we're in a you know a great environment here where people you know, can be casual and comfortable at work. And, you know, people are customer facing and, and different things. And, and I'm not denying that, but actually thinking about how you structure your workplace so that people can be comfortable, you can take those pressures away, um, that people don't just have to be in the office. They don't just have to be in at a certain time. They don't have to be dressed in a certain way. Um, even things like tea and coffee and how you kind of make tools available for people like that that are just taking away little barriers all the time and I think I'm, I'm leaning towards quite simple examples like that because it's often the things that get forgotten mm. and you can start with really simple things like that that will make someone feel hugely included and appreciated. Um, our producer has just uh, given us a really interesting fact hasn't she so um, Diabetes UK have did some research and found that people with type 1 diabetes make 180 more decisions a day than someone without like that is so much additional labour um, just to go through your everyday life and the impact that can have on you compared to your non-disabled colleagues is just phenomenal yeah yeah um, Holly and I talk about things like this quite regularly 
at work. It's um, I think it's quite refreshing actually, not only being in an environment where you can be very open about your experiences at work and with your colleagues, but being in a small business where there is someone else. Um, obviously, we have different experiences and different conditions, but just that impact um, of those days where you are not feeling your best or those types of things like the spoon theory that we've just spoken about and those extra decisions, it's, it's good having someone else there as well. And I think that's really relevant. And I think it definitely resonates with me and kind of those decisions you make on a daily basis that um, I don't think kind of somebody without a disability or, or a chronic illness would would be thinking about. Um, happy to be proven wrong on that, but I don't think so. Um, and I think it resonates with a lot of people um, and especially kind of navigating your way to work. And, you know, I know like I get the train to work, for example, choosing a train based on which one's not going to be over full. So I tend to come to work earlier so that I can avoid the peak time because if I have to stand on a train that's full of lots of people and I'm being crushed, that's going to affect me throughout the day. Mm. Um, all those little decisions. Um, vape smoke is a trigger for me. The smell of it can trigger seizures. So I plan a route to work, avoiding where there's groups of people that are likely to be vaping outside of offices. You know, like... I'm just sharing kind of those personal experiences because they're things that probably other people like just don't notice. It might be annoying if someone yeah. vapes in your face, but then you forget about it. You're not actively kind of stepping outside yeah. and, and the extra energy that expends walking just down a street. Yeah. And that's like, it's just such an ordinary everyday experience for so many disabled people, right? Like to have to plan and... Um, consider and make those like amendments and, and actually like perhaps this is a useful way to talk about how workplaces can be making adjustments for their yeah. staff um, because while there are legal obligations a lot of people aren't necessarily um, well trained or versed or equipped in even just having those initial conversations with their yeah. staff right um, and thinking about how they um, both respond to particular reasonable adjustments that a staff member might ask for, but also perhaps perhaps like preempt a bit as well, because that's really where we want workplaces to be getting to. And you can't preempt every adjustment. And also, different disabled people have conflicting needs, and that's really important to remember as well. Is that like, um, you know, what will help one type of disabled person won't necessarily be useful yes. or helpful or could actually be worse for another disabled person. <laughs> yes. So it's um, it's very much about being responsive, but there are certain things that can just make lives easier for people in advance. Um, so yeah, it'd be useful to maybe talk a bit about that. Yeah, I think that is such a huge part of it, is just recognising that there isn't one size fits all. So talking about like workplace adjustments, so disability confident research reported that 73% of employers who make work-related adjustments say it was really easy to do. Um, and that really kind of demonstrates actually that like mm -hmm. it, I think a lot of people get more worried about it being more difficult than it actually is. Um, uh, in my experience, having worked in an equality and diversity team that was responsible for the larger pots of funding that made up some of the stuff that access to work didn't provide. Yeah. Um, there were 
like, yeah, always like these big concerns that people were going to come forward with like thousands and tens of thousands of pounds of adjustments. And it like, we had a big pot. We were a big organization. And it was actually quite rare that people asked for like very large yeah. sums of money. You know, it would be things like um, taxis to work after uh, an operation that was related to their disability yeah. and that would be for a set period of time and they'd just put in some money for a couple of thousand pounds more um, and like we would give it to them and it would be, it was so much simpler than a lot I think managers worried about. Yes I totally agree um, again having worked in larger organizations in the past I don't think I've ever seen a request come through that was unreasonable or overly expensive to the organization and I think you have to trust your employees as well. You know, we've spoken about the recruitment side of things. Recruit, trust your recruitment process that you are hiring the best people into your organization and then trust them and trust that they have the best intentions and they're not going to just request things that they don't need. And actually, they'll just generally be really grateful that you've taken the time to ask and you care that they have the tools and equipment needed to do their job properly and be able to get to work easily and all of those things it's it's not doesn't have to be a really difficult or complicated conversation and I think a lot of the time as well the conversation comes down to time and knowing that if they need a bit of time that will be okay and there won't be disciplinary processes from having too much sick time um, triggered too easily and there won't be mm. difficult conversations with their manager every time that they need a day off or actually if they just need an extra hour sleep in the morning and want to come in an hour later they don't have to have that conversation every day because they've got flexible working and all of those things actually tend to mean a huge amount more than anything kind of physical that money can provide um, not for everyone some people need those but knowing that tends to build a huge amount of trust and goodwill with the em employer because they have that freedom to make choices for what they need on the day and the week of, of work. And we all know that, you know, the cost of replacing lost employees is huge. Mm. Um, you know, data shows that it can cost up to... 200% of the annual salary to replace um, an employee when you take into account the recruitment fees, any training, but actually like the lost productivity of um, inducting someone, inducting again, someone yeah. and um, everything. It's a huge cost to an organization. Um, and also like the time it takes to interview. <laughs> We've both been interviewing yeah. recently and it takes a huge amount of time. So that's all costing the organization money. And employees who are happy and who feel loyalty to their employer generally don't leave. And as we've already spoken about, it's even harder for somebody with a disability to find a job opportunity that they're gonna go, yep, I'm gonna apply for that and I'm gonna move to that because of all of those barriers that mm. exist. So if you've built that loyalty and goodwill with your employee who has a disability and you've made those adjustments for them so they have everything that they need to be successful, why would they leave? Yeah. So the cost that it's had to provide them with a few extra days off in the year for medical appointments or a few extra pieces of equipment so that it's, it's easier the for them run, to do it? the job, yeah. it's never going to cost what it would to replace them for not doing those things. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and there was, like, the point that you made earlier around, like, some people will come to the workplace um, with a disability, but actually a lot of people acquire disabilities during their lives as well. Yes. Um, and um, if you aren't already demonstrating the support that you have for disabled employees, those people are less likely to tell you what is happening for yes. them. Um, and as someone who has suffered with like long-term mental health issues, um, like I have at various different points chosen to tell employers or not. Yeah. Um, and especially if that has changed or gotten worse or you know particular triggers that can can make it harder or changing medication or any of those various points like the trust that you can have in an employer is just like definitely impacted my decision whether or not to tell someone that that's what I'm going through. Bupa found that a quarter um, used holiday time for medical appointments and 23% had given a false reason for not being able to say why they were off work. Yeah um, I mean was, I can put my hand up and say I've done that Um, I've used holiday to go and see my neurologist Um, you know a big important hospital appointment once a year used holiday for Mm. um, and um, yeah it's amazing how many stomach bugs I've had in the past yeah and coughs and colds Uh, like yeah (laughs) because no one wants you in the office if you have a stomach bug nobody wants you to come in if you've got food poisoning they, they don't want you in the office. So and that's a nice, simple, like, 24 to 48 yeah. hour illness, isn't it? Exactly. Right. Clears up nice and quickly. Um, no questions. No questions asked. And no one is going to put pressure on you to be like, oh, it's fine, you can come in. Well, you know, people are like, yeah, no, don't come in. Just get off the phone as soon as possible. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what people do. And if you don't build the trust, it doesn't mean that that person is, is going to be able to work any more hours. It just means that you are creating those barriers and unable to support the person to get the most out of them because they are going to have to create those those stories for you because they can't cope with the back and forth dialogue and those difficult conversations that shouldn't be happening. Um, it's just, yeah, it's sad. And it's hard now looking back thinking that actually, yes, I did that. And I think it's also important to recognise as an employer that people's previous experiences follow them. Mm. It doesn't go just because they've moved to a new job. It it comes with them and you can't expect them just to trust you on day one, even if you're doing lots of amazing things. And and I, I talk about that like now as culture shift and I believe we do lots of great things for our employees and we're very vocal about it. We talk about it on social media. So I you know, I hope that things like the disclosure rates on application and things would be a lot higher for us. And I can say personally that this is the only job where I disclosed my disability at um, the application stage in my whole life Mm. um, because I had that trust. But also, I would say from our perspective on the flip side, as well as the trust, it was also a test. Yeah. Because I wanted to come here because of the mission-led piece, but I was also testing culture shift during that interview process like are you going to walk the walk if I tell you this um so like do not think that if you receive a disclosure that it's not for that reason Mm -hmm. as well you are being tested all the time as an organization um and you need to pass and you need to pass it on a daily basis and that testing can come in loads of different forms as well right like we were talking earlier about um, managers, line managers, supervisors, like needing to be comfortable having these conversations for their employees. Like, 
perhaps raising it themselves and um, uh, I you know try and ask at interview stage for example like if you've got any reasonable adjustments I, I don't, they don't need to disclose their disability beforehand but I you know I'll ask anyway just in case and actually you might then get the odd person go well actually I'm dyslexic so if like you please could send me this thing to read beforehand so I've mm-hmm. got to read it on the day that would be great or like could I have the questions in advance because of this particular need or like you know they, I want people to be able to ask and and tell me those things and um, yeah. because I want them to succeed I'm not trying to catch them out no I think that's another time where um language is really important as well making it as open and inclusive as possible so um bringing Holly our producer back into the conversation one um bugbear that we both have on like forms like that is when it asks if you are disabled mm. um because often when you get that question the sort of drop down options and things are very focused on physical disability yeah. and it's very important that those questions are there and any um adjustments that are needed for people with physical disability is taken account of but it does not feel inclusive for for someone with sort of a chronic illness a hidden disability um and just changing those few letters to to say you know do you have kind of any form of disability um feels so much more inclusive in that language and when you're asking people to disclose and trust you um thinking about that sort of language and things like reasonable adjustments and how you phrase that again like rather than always putting the pressure onto the person taking it on you you know to saying we would love to make our interview process as flexible as possible mm. let us know how we can help you during that like not you tell us what you need but like give people examples of what you've done before like say you know like we've we've um we're able to provide questions in advance we can provide different equipment for presentations we can shorten length and time frames we can help with travel things that you can do as reasonable adjustments just as like throwing out a few examples so that people don't feel uncomfortable to tell you what they need because that's really hard to say especially during an interview process where people are wanting to put yeah. their best selves forward and not wanting to put anything in your mind or they're like yeah. worried that you might yeah make assumptions about who they are and their capabilities yeah. or and that. yeah people know it's a competitive process they don't want any little thing that means oh well we'll go with that person instead because they don't need mm. me to put all this extra effort in and, and whilst that's like literal like disability discrimination the burden on the disabled person to prove that and to have evidence yes. of that like it's so rare that these cases go forward Very rare. and that they are found um and there is yeah so much like evidence and demonstration needed and it's such a high bar and i like i resonate so hard with what you're saying about um whether or not you disclose yourself to be disabled it's something that i talk about and think about quite a lot in my personal life um and it took me a really long time to actually start ticking that part of the form as well because um especially like long-term mental health issues they they ebb and flow and it's not like I've felt like it's constantly impacting me on a daily basis but when it's been at its worst I've definitely felt very disabled and similarly with like neurodivergency like I have um been going through the process of ADHD diagnosis it's been like a very slow process same as it is for a lot of people and I'm on waiting lists for final assessments but um with I feel like sometimes without that like proof like how do I go around saying it and having those conversations um and it's definitely like 
yeah, the definition in the Equality Act, I think, is about um, meeting the standard of, like, a sustained condition for 12 months or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for conditions that you feel perhaps don't impact your day-to-day living consistently and you might need to have and wait for like yeah particular bad spots or flare-ups or um relapses like you say like it's it that can be really difficult for people to feel disabled enough to declare it and that's not the position we want organizations to be in right no it's not and i think it's also recognizing that um people's perception of normal comes from our own lived experience so I was 12 and I was diagnosed with epilepsy, so my whole adult life, I only know what it's like to be a grown-up with epilepsy. Mm. You know, I I can talk here of kind of um, saying, you know, somebody without a disability will feel this and that, and that comes from research and things, but actually, we only really know our own experience. So when we talk about the impact to a person's daily life, a lot of us just normalize it. Like, actually, no, it's not having that big of an impact because this is just life. This is is just how I live. And therefore, we also put increased levels of pressure on ourselves to just cope, Mm. just push through, just get on with it, because we don't want to be seen as lesser or unable to manage the same workloads and and have the same capacity and productivity levels as other members of our teams and so you know when you're phrasing things like that actually it's taking into account the person you're speaking to a might just think this is normal and b may find it very difficult to acknowledge when they're not coping because Mm that's very scary for someone. And especially kind of, I guess, like linking back to what we were saying earlier about um, the baggage we bring from previous experiences. They may have opened up about that to another employer that they trusted and been treated very badly for it. And you have to create safe spaces to understand previous experiences as well and, and build that trust because, you know, Although you know, like, or we know working at Culture Shift that we will do everything in our power to support an individual and we have great policies in place, until the person joining our organisation really builds that trust sort of deep in their core, it's just words. And we have to work with them to build that that trust um, and we have to recognise that. And I think that's something we do really well is is recognising that um, we have to take it one step at a time with a person and not just think on day one, we can just be like, what do you need? Let's do everything for you and think that that person will necessarily be ready to have that conversation. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that came to mind when you were just speaking is around um, burnout. And I guess like a lot of people experience burnout. It's not like just disabled people, but for disabled people, I guess the like the detriment it can then have on their further health, right? Yeah. It's like significant. And coming back to the point around holiday days being taken, um, because sometimes as well, I think some of the things that people experience with like chronic and hidden illnesses is it's not, it doesn't feel like a sickness necessarily. Like, you, am I sick? <laughs> like, should I be taking a sick day for this? Um, and so you might end up like working through it mm-hmm. or yeah, like we said before, like lying about why you're having time off. And one of the things I love that we do at Culture Shift is the wellbeing days. Yeah. I do think they're like a really simple 
way of saying these are five days in the year that you can just take like on the day they're unplanned we don't you're not having to pretend you're ill like you can just be a little bit exhausted or a little bit tired or a little bit stressed yeah or like yeah you just might need a little moment to recuperate from like something unexpected that happened the day before or like whatever it might be I just think it's and these are separate as well to things like carers leave medical leave like Mm -hmm. you know and they are we've been encouraged to use them for things like difficult period pains yes Um, and I think you know that something I would wanted to mention as well is around like the intersectionality of being a disabled person with other marginalizations as well and so like yeah if you're having like a flare-up of a chronic health condition and you're having your period like that is probably a really good reason to take a well-being day <laughs> yeah and actually recognizing the connection of that for um f- you know female employees on your team because um a number of chronic illnesses and disabilities are impacted by hormone levels mm. um and, and getting to know that in your team that actually if um that kind of monthly cycle has an impact that's the sort of thing that you can build into your reasonable adjustments does that person need to be in the office during their period? Is that a time when they can can work from home, take things easily, take wellbeing days if they need? But the person might want to keep working, might just want to take the pressure off a little bit. Um, and, and connecting those dots, because the person may not, they might not recognize it themselves. And actually you starting to track things might help them recognize things. But... Um, they might not want to disclose because not only is disclosing a disability really difficult telling you on the days that the person feels rubbish is difficult but adding on saying Mm. okay i'm a woman with a disability i'm having a day when i feel rubbish and i feel rubbish because i'm on my period that's just like a lot of vulnerability (laughs) it's a hell of a lot of vulnerability and 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 especially if you've been burned by your response before yeah it's um yeah it can be really hard thanks so much emily it's been a really um like interesting and like moving conversation actually it's been um fascinating to talk about your personal experience and thank you for sharing that with us and the listeners and to also talk about all of the challenges that people experience in the workplace getting into the workplace for the first part um and then also you know with their ability to trust an organization and disclose what support they might get when they actually do feel the confidence and ability to tell their organizations what their needs are and um also you know how the challenges are around some of the intersecting experiences as well so we've we've been all over the place with the conversation today (laughs) and it's been fantastic and i'm yeah really um pleased to have recorded this episode with you so thank you so much thanks yeah it's been really nice to sit down chat to you ricky thank you i feel like it's been therapy (laughs) (laughs) thank you for tuning into this episode of the culture shift We hope you found it insightful and informative. We really appreciate your support and value your feedback. So if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, share your thoughts, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button to stay updated on when we release new episodes. If you're interested in our other content or how Culture Shift can help your organization, check out our YouTube channel, website, or drop us a message. And I'll see you next time.